And tell your neighbor you're so glad they're sitting by you today. Well, praise the Lord. Great to see you on this Labor Day weekend. We're going to have a little fun before we start here. How many can remember a time when you had a little conflict in a relationship? The relationship just wasn't going too well, but it just kind of worked out over time. Wave your hand at me here. I think probably everybody today. Well, I've got an encouraging picture. It just happens to be from my grandchild. But uh, now I want you to just kind of clue in on this picture just a second. Okay, he's almost two, not quite, and, and he just had a baby brother. His name's Henry, and his baby brother is Titus. And uh, he just had a baby brother about two weeks ago. And he's dragged the, the car seat from the garage over to his grandmother, which is Lonnie. Now, I want you to listen to what he says about that little car seat. In case you missed it, bye-bye, Titus. Now, he has been the prince of that home for two years, and all of a sudden, he's got a little competition here, and he figures the way to get rid of him is get him in that car seat and out the door. But here's where hope comes forth. Let me show you another little picture here. So now he's warmed up to his little brother here, and he's feeding him a bottle. So how many know there's hope for any relationship, huh? <laughs> hey, I want to talk about some hot-button subjects today. I want to talk about diversity. I want to talk about equality. I want to talk about racism. But specifically, I want to talk about unity and diversity in the church. Now, we live in a world today that is operating with this thing called identity politics. And it's not just Republicans and Democrats. It flows through our culture that tries to take us who share a common bond has been we share a common creator. We share the DNA of Adam and Eve but yet we are divided into groups across the nation. It's almost like there's forces that just try to help us find out what's different between you and I, and because of that, I hate you. For example, if you're here today, and I'm a, whatever you want to call me, a white guy, Caucasian, if your race or nationality is different, wave your hand at me. Yeah, well, guess what? There's forces in the world that want to make us not just not get along, but even hate each other. Uh, well, how about, I'm a man, I, and I am a man. I don't have any gender confusion about me. How many women in the room? Wave your hand. Well, that's a whole other issue that's in our culture today. How many motorcycle riders here? Got your colors on today. Where are you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead and stand up there. Go with your colors. Yeah, he's a motorcycle guy. Uh, I don't want to get on a motorcycle. I, they scare me a little bit. So we're different. How, how about tattoos? Wave, uh, wave your hand if you've got a tattoo here. All right, I'm scared of needles, so we're different too. Okay, any nose rings or other rings? You don't have to tell me where they are. Okay, I don't want anybody poking a hole in me. I don't want the doctor poking a hole in me. But I think you, you get the idea of what I'm talking about here. How many duck hunters in the room? Wave your hand. The rest of you, we feel for you very much. But we're just, we're different. And so often in the world, our differences produce hatred. They produce violence. Politicians try to vie for the differences, and they try to get us on board with them. Well, I want to talk about this in today. These, these identity politics makes us not only be different but hate each other. But as we look at that cross, we remember Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, social barriers fall. When I become a Christian, I leave the racism behind me. When I become a Christian, I leave the discrimination behind me. 
When I become a Christian and a follower of Christ, I leave the hatred behind me. This is God's idea. You see, as a Christian, we share one cross, one faith, and one Lord Jesus Christ. That unites us across any other barriers that would separate us. Uh, David said in speaking the power of unity in Psalm 133, how good and, it, and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows the blessing, even life forevermore. Now, having said that, it's not always easy to go to church with people that are different from us. And Amy can say amen. It's not always easy because some of the differences kind of rub against us. I was raised in a home when I was young. I was raised in Mississippi, North Mississippi. In the, uh, I was born in 1957. Uh, racism was peaking pretty high back then. There were black water fountains and white water fountains. There was a black restroom and a white restroom. How many know, thank God, we're different in America today. But those kind of things can be awkward when you come to church. Uh, racism can be awkward when you come to church. Uh, economic differences. You may feel like, well, you know, I wish... Well, really, the most, the most uh, uh, what can I say, the most polarized hour or segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Because most people want to be with people that are like them. In and of itself, it's not bad, but we miss something when we act in ways that push people away that are different from us. Uh, in my own world, I see the world through three lenses. Uh, the three types of people in the world to me are duck hunters, turkey hunters, and everybody else. I mean, that's the three little groups that I put people in. But the Bible, in all sincerity, as I get a little more serious, the Bible has a lot to say about Christians, and it is uh, the way we treat other people. It is built predominantly on the second great commandment. You remember the first great commandment, love uh, the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second great commandment is, guess what? Love your neighbor as yourself. The world tries to do this. Government makes laws. I mean, no, you can make a law to put me on a bus to go to a school with someone that's different from me, but you can't make me love that person. That's what Christ can do. He can change us on the inside. But yet sometimes we as Christians allow our differences to build barriers between us, and it causes us to act in selfish ways or, or, or ways that are improper. And uh, there's a scripture in the Bible that I want to bring this to your attention because it's one of the most troubling scriptures, a shocking scripture in the Bible that talks about disunity among Christians. It's about communion. Now, it's a somewhat lengthy passage. I'm going to go through it verse by verse in just a moment, and then I'm going to give you some lessons that we can learn from it. But right now, I want to put, take the most controversial verse, and I want to read it. It says, if you eat the bread or drink the cup. Now, this is talking about communion. We remember Jesus, you know, the little bread and the cup of juice that we drink. If you eat it and drink it without honoring the body of Christ. Now, we're going to explore what that means. And here's where it gets difficult. You're eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. That's why many of you, many, are weak, sick, and some have even... Now, I don't think anyone has ever seen on a death certificate that someone died because they dishonored the body of Christ. You died because you had a heart attack. You died because of a gunshot wound. You died because of a brain aneurysm. But the Bible says there can be a spiritual cause that is in effect the discipline of God 
because we as Christians have not acted in proper ways towards one another. God takes it very seriously. So I want to explore this a little bit today and certainly show us ways around it. Uh, And as I said today, I'm going to talk about some hot-button issues, but I'm going to challenge you today from the Scripture to love people the way Christ loved them, people who are different from us. It is one of the things that I enjoy the most about our church here in Mayberry is that uh, we have somehow found an ability to go beyond the differences that divide and find that which unites us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, give him a a good hand today. Now, I am going to be different from the world when I talk about these things. And one in particular, for example, when I talk about accepting people, I'm not talking about accepting and normalizing behaviors that the Bible calls wrong or immoral. There's a push in the world today that basically says, accept me, and not only accept me, but accept the things I do, and I demand you that you normalize them, and I demand that you never criticize them. Well, how many know sometimes people do things that the Bible calls are wrong? And what we have to learn how to do is love the person and still be able to disagree with their behaviors that are outside of biblical norm. So we're talking about unity and diversity in the church, and I want to show you a little quick video of two kids on the first day of school that embody this as much as anything. And I want you to see the issue is more than race. The issue has to do with the heart. Take a peek at these two kids. Elementary school boys began the new school year with a lesson in kindness. Cakes Morgan Mobley is here with the friendship that might last a lifetime. Craig and Dead, their favorite superheroes are Spider-Man and Iron Man. But now they are being hailed as heroes to many adults. I uh, seen him on the ground with Connor as Connor was crying in the corner and he was consoling him and he grabbed his hand and walked into the front door and we waited until the bell rang and he walked in the side of the school and the rest was history. They have an inseparable bond. What Christian didn't know that day is that Connor is autistic. He was overwhelmed with everything going on around him. I fear every day that someone's going to laugh at him because he doesn't speak correctly or laugh at him because he doesn't sit still or because he, you know, jumps up and down and flaps his hands. It was a moment in time caught, now capturing the hearts of strangers all over. But to the boys, it was simple. He was kind to me. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I was in fourth day of school, and I started crying. Then he helped me, and I was happy. Christian didn't see Connor as different, a message their moms and many others are taking from this. It doesn't matter, you know, color. It doesn't matter gender. It doesn't matter disability. It doesn't matter anything. Just be kind, open your heart, and... That's what we need in this world. Well, if you could hear the first words out of the little autistic boy's mouth, he was kind to me. And it's just as simple as that. You know, kindness is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Kindness is a product of God at work in our hearts. And in a society filled with hatred, listen, I I can virtually guarantee you, you cannot listen to the main uh, news networks and you will, if you will listen 10 minutes, you'll probably hear somebody say someone else is racist. It's almost the blanket statement that anything anybody does that I don't like, that I disagree with, if you eat vanilla ice cream, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody said you're a racist. If you like chocolate ice cream, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody says you're a racist. 
I mean, it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. But there is a solution to this, and it's found in the person and the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's walk verse by verse through this, and I want to talk about the differences that cause division in the church in Corinth. And their division was such that God disciplined them in some very uh, profound ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Now that's an odd verse. First of all, it, 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 the book of Corinthians is by and large a book of correcting problems in the church at Corinth. You go from one problem to the next. But what he's saying is basically is, your church is so messed up, it's almost like it would be better if you guys didn't hang out together because you're causing more problems than you are helping people. And this is the tone of it. And he says, verse 18, first I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. It's not a new thing. If you've been involved in a church split, if you've been involved in, in, in churches in controversy where people are gossiping and all this, well, this is division. It's the opposite of the unity that we should have in Christ. And then he talks about one. He said, verse 20, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper is something practiced in virtually every Christian church in the world, uh, when I was a boy, I remember as a young Methodist, uh, we would have this little, as we do today, a little brass container, and it had little cups of uh, grape juice in it. Uh, then the container comes by, it's got some little crunchy little bread, it's unleavened bread. Leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible, so of course Christ lived a sinless life, and we remember Christ in that. It's called the breaking of bread in Acts chapter 2. It was a part of virtually the, uh, of every Christian service, it appears, in the, early New, in the New Testament. Uh, it's also called Holy Communion. The word communion means fellowship with God, fellowship between God and man. Uh, it's called the Eucharist. The Eucharist is a really translated from a Greek word that means thanksgiving. Uh, if you were, have been in a Catholic church, the whole Mass is built around the experience of receiving this Lord's Supper or communion. Now, all of this, the Lord's Supper, has its roots in the Jewish Passover. You remember the story, the Passover lamb, Jesus was crucified in this Passover season. He was the lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. So it's all related. And what Jesus basically said when he was with the disciples, his last meal, now this is, Judas is going to betray him and all this is going to happen, but they eat a meal together. And then Jesus, after the meal, takes a loaf of bread, breaks it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then they all take a piece of that bread, and then he takes a common cup, and they all take a drink. And Jesus said, remember me when you do this. Remember my death on the cross. Remember the offer of forgiveness. Remember all that entails. Now, and here's where it gets interesting. Look at verse 21. Some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing it with others. What in the world does that mean? Well, they practiced just like Jesus did the Lord's Supper. So when they came to church together, if you can imagine, it's perhaps they met in someone's home. Uh, they didn't have buildings dedicated to the Christian church like we do today, but they met in a building. And when they came together, they would have a, a supper together. It wasn't just, quote, prepared by the church where the church made, you know, 100 pounds of spaghetti, but everybody kind of brought potluck. So if you can imagine this, imagine if a 
Imagine if Steve and his family, if I can pick on you, he brings his family, he's got his wife and his kids and their buddies, and Steve's got a great job and he's made a lot of money, and I mean they have this little feast they're bringing together. They've got tacos and they've got tamales and and they've got, uh, I don't know, they've probably got some ribs in there. What else do you like? Bacon. Bacon. Steve likes bacon. He was a non-Jewish early Christian, but he likes bacon. Anyway. Well, they're eating, and I mean, they're just going for it. They're just having a blast. They're having a good time. And after the meal, they're going to share a common cup. Well, I want you to imagine Rebecca over here in Linnell. They're the Miller family. We don't have any money. Linnell lost her job, and her husband was too, too lazy to work. No. She lost her job because she was a Christian. And uh, in their world, they would literally fire you. I mean, if they didn't like you, they'd fire you. They'd get rid of you. Well, she also comes to church that day. It's communion day, but they don't have anything. And they're having a feast, and they're sitting here hungry. And this is where the problem was. Remember when I read many are weak, sick, and dying? This is the context for all of that. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 22, here was Paul's response to that. You know, some of you uh, go hungry and others get drunk. Now, the drunkenness is not as we perceive drunkenness today, where it's more of a social activity. Uh, Their water was not very good to drink. Uh, You would often get sick, so wine was frequently consumed, but they were drinking and they're they're having a little party there. And Paul basically says, what? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Do you really want to disgrace the church and shame the poor? Listen to this. Do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? So this is a difference in the early church. It's an economic difference. But I would suggest there's also other issues that could come up. The racial issue could come up. You remember when Jesus met the Samaritan woman? And uh, he's talking to her. He witnesses to her. She goes and brings her family to Christ. Well, the disciples went out to buy lunch. And when they came back, they were shocked that he was talking to her. Number one, there was a stigma between men, rabbis in particular, talking to women. But more importantly, the Samaritans were Jewish half-breeds. They were the leftovers. During the exile, they intermarried with the pagans. And the Jews, who were a pure race, didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. So that's the closest thing that we have to our modern-day racial problems. But Jesus welcomed her and loved her. Well, how many know you can have racial problems in the church? You can have your token white person, your token black person, your token Hispanic, your token uh, uh, Asian, and lose the fact that we're the body of Christ. Well, this is out, and this is the kind of thing that was happening in, in Corinth. Now, let me say this. As Christians, uh, we have a private world and a public world. I believe if I'm truly following Christ, I'm not only going to be, not be a racist in church, I'm not going to be a racist in the community. I'm going to love people that are different. I actually go out of my way to treat people that are different from me, to treat them kinder in public, because I know that stuff is out there. I mean, no, there's just some things that, that, uh, that are, are morally wrong in the Scripture. But then there's other things in our private world that's just a matter of preference and blessing. For example, uh, I, I like to hunt. Uh, sometimes we'll go somewhere to hunt. We'll spend money when we go. Well, the fact that I go with my other friends that like to hunt, listen, if I took my wife hunting with me, it wouldn't be fun for either one of us. Amen. I, took, I took her duck hunting one time. Now, this is when we were, let me give you some uh, uh, advice here, single people. This is when we were dating. And she wanted to go duck hunting with me, and she got in her little boots out there, and we were in the mud, and she walked out of her boots, and I had to help, save me, save me, help me. 
And I thought, well, I guess I'm marrying a potential duck hunter. But when she married me, she didn't do that anymore. So I'm just telling you guys, these are the kind of things that women do to try to win your heart. And when they got you, you just can forget about the duck hunting later. Where was I going with that? Oh, we have a private world and a public world. Listen, in our private world, you can choose the friends that you want. You can choose who you vacation with. You choose who you marry. There's not some affirmative action in the church that says every time we're in the duck blind, we have to have a representative white guy, black guy, Asian guy, and Hispanic. You understand what I'm saying? There's things in the world that try to force love, but they can never do it. Now look at verse 23. Paul said, and this is what we read when we receive the elements of communion. I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he gave thanks to God, he broke it in pieces, said, this is my body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Now the word remember doesn't just mean look at the cross and think 2,000 years ago Jesus was nailed to the cross. This word remembrance is not only the realization, but it is the appropriation of the experience. In other words, when I come to the cross, I find forgiveness in Christ. When I hold that cup in my hand, hopefully a tear sometimes comes to my eye, recognizing how God called me, how he saved me, how he loves me, how he has forgiven me. It is the closest thing that I can get before I see him face to face in this appropriation. And then he says the same thing about the cup representing his blood. Now, verse 27 is where it gets interesting. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily or in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, there are some various interpretations, but I'm going to suggest to you the one that I believe is most consistent with the context. First, the word unworthily. Have you ever been to communion and, and I don't know, there was some sin in your life that was just pretty strong? You'd been practicing it, you hadn't quit it, it bothered you a lot, and you wouldn't receive communion? Okay, I'll raise my hand and say that I have. That's wrong. How many know none of us are worthy? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. In Hebrews, Jesus is is said to be like our high priest. We're to come boldly into his presence to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Our righteous acts don't make us worthy. Our good deeds don't make us worthy. The cleanness of our life is not what makes us worthy. I mean, no, we do these good works to please the Lord, but the only thing that can make a sinner righteous in the eyes of God is the forgiveness of Christ and his blood that was shed for us. But the specific context here implies an action that they're doing in the midst of their communion experience, and they've not repented from it. Drinks of the cup of the Lord unworthily is guilting against the body and the blood of the Lord. I suggest to you the context implies that the body means the body of Christ. And what he's referring to is Steve that had lots of money and he brought big potluck to dinner. And and Rebecca didn't have anything to eat and she was poor. I suggest this is what he's talking about. When we come in in a worthy manner... And then he goes on to say, this is why you should examine yourself before you eat the bread and drink the cup. Now, what that means, I think a self-examination in communion is a good thing. 
that if we've gotten off track, if we're doing wrong, if we need to close some account, I think it's a good thing to realize it, ask the Lord to forgive us, and set in our heart that we're going to make that thing right. But in this case, what he should have done is at some point in time when they're having that meal together, they should have looked around the room and seen that somebody didn't have anything to eat. It could have been during the meal or after the meal when they started passing the cup and the bread, and they should have went over to Rebecca and should have said, Rebecca, I want to apologize to you, honey. We were just being selfish over here. We were just thinking of ourselves and having fun, and I know you love the Lord like we do. Why don't you come and join us? Well, that's, that's the dynamic of what was going on because here's what he said. If you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. And that's why many of you are weak, sick, and have even died. So it's one thing to talk about diversity. It's one thing to talk about equality. It's one thing to talk about racism and all those things in the world. But it's another thing to talk about those activities among the people that I relate to as Christian in the body of Christ. So I say this to you, listen, all of us have some level of struggle, sometimes racial issues I have struggles with. Sometimes I have struggles with the issues that homeless people bring. I'm not homeless. Sometimes the grooming habit, sometimes you, they're just, okay? Sometimes I struggle with some things, but I don't let the struggle define me. I go out of my way to show love and kindness where I am struggling. Just because I have an internal feeling that might isolate me from someone, just because that feeling could have been transmitted from my family and impacting my life today, I am a new creation in Christ. And I don't have to be defined by the things that used to define me. I can love someone, come on now, simply because God loved me and wants me to love people. But more importantly, because this is how Christians show the world the love of God is by our love for one another. So this is, a, I, I've been going over this passage about two months now, thinking about this about our church, I am very grateful for the diversity in our church here in Mayberry. I'm told, I don't visit other churches, but I'm told this is a bit unusual, uh, even in our little town here. But can I tell you, I believe it pleases God. I believe it pleases God when people can find unity in Christ and the love of Christ that impacts the way they treat other people in our community. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, let me give you a couple lessons from this now, some applications. And here's the first one. It's kind of basic. And if our world, if our nation, if our, if our president, our congressman, if our Supreme Court, our governors, if people would have this as a starting point and we would educate our children this way, I promise you we would not have the, the problems that we have today. And the first lesson is this, God created all of us. God created all of us. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. God began, we're talking about the human race, by making one person, who was it? Adam, and from him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. What does that mean? Your relatives are sitting around you. So turn to your cousin and say, when can I come over for dinner? Just go ahead and just feel free to do that now. 
Somebody sent me a pretty cool article last night after I mentioned this. I, I had suggested in my ignorance that uh, in the, the study of human DNA, that if it was not at this point yet, that one day they'll find that there was a common beginning point to human G DNA that we all have in common. I get back this article that's called uh, mitochondrial, uh, uh, mitochondrial DNA, and it was tracing the gene of Eve. It was actually called mitochondrial Eve. It was tracing the DNA uh, of Eve and how her, her, her woman gene had impacted literally every female in the entire human race. So anyway, there is proof that God did indeed. We, ha we share a common creator. But beyond that, for the Christian, the cross is the great unifier. It is at the cross of Christ that I, as a Christian, must drop my prejudices, my my acts of discrimination, I must bring even my feelings of racism and bring them to the cross. Listen to what the Bible says as it speaks to us as the children of God. Now, I kind of jokingly said there's three people in the world, Tucker Hunters, Duck Hunters, and everybody else. But I want to suggest in reality there are two groups of people. That are, there are those who believe in Jesus Christ and those who do not. There are those that have been born again in the family of God and those hopefully will be but not yet. But Galatians, as he speaks to the church, Paul said this, You are all children of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Then how could Christians act in such hateful ways towards one another? How could God forgive us in America, America's past? How could someone put a cross in someone's yard that they hated and light it on fire? How could you use that symbol well, it's clear. You're either not born again or you don't know or read the Bible. But you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism. This is either the baptism by the Spirit into the body of Christ or our own water baptism where we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We've been united in baptism, have put on Christ. Listen now, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, ethnic, there's no longer slave or free, economic. There's no longer male or female, gender. But you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. This is the starting place of how I treat Christian people. Jesus already told us the second great commandment. The starting place for treating everybody is love your neighbor as yourself. But there is something that must go to a higher level. When I am relating to people who are different from me in the body of Christ, it is we are one in Jesus. Diversity in the church is a good thing, and it is God's idea. I suggest that we can be an example to the watching world who knows there's a problem, who tries to make laws to fix it, but do not have the power to change the human heart. We do. Diversity is God's idea. We're different, yet the same. We are unequal, yet equal in Christ. But let me say this to you. This is different. When I say we're equal in Christ, it is different from what the world calls equality. I suggest that uh, uh, equality, when the world talks about it, is perhaps more of a communist philosophy where the government forces behaviors or lifestyles upon people to make them the same. This is not, the Bible does not teach that we should all be the same. 
The Bible values the individual more than the group. The Bible values individual responsibility, individual accountability before God, individual reward before God. It recognizes nations. It recognizes the Jews and Gentiles and their boundaries. But God deals with us as individuals. And this does not mean as in our pursuit of equality, we all have to be the same. That is the message of socialism. And socialism wants to make us all equally poor and all equally live in a ghetto. Whereas, if we, like Venezuela, like Cuba, go down the list. But if we want to be uh, what the Bible would encourage in terms, and even our founders recognize in our Constitution, our right to the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If in your pursuit of happiness you want to pay the price, and get a degree and then a graduate degree and earn a salary where you can, I don't know what, take turkey hunting trips all over the world, you have that right to do it. And if the government wants to make you equal, that's wrong. It is equality in Christ around the cross of Christ and how I relate to other people because they bear the image of God. Give them a big hand today. The Lord is worthy of praise. Let me, let me look at a third lesson from this. I'm going to say it, but it's, I want to tell you it's got landmines all around it. So let me kind of walk through it. The Bible teaches that those that have to help those that don't have. In our context of communion, Steve had a potluck meal to share. Rebecca didn't. And the Bible teaches that Steve should have shared with Rebecca. Now, there was a problem in Corinth. Some people had food and some didn't. They wouldn't share, and that brought judgment. But the question is, how much... If I'm a Christian, how much do I share with the poor? What responsibility do I have? Does it mean how often do I give to someone who's poor? Okay, I don't know that I have an answer to those. You're going to have to work that out yourself. But I do want to suggest there's a balance in this for American culture. The Bible teaches personal responsibility. The Bible teaches that able-bodied people are expected to work to take care of themselves. Now, we live in a society today that has entrenched us for the last 50 years with an entitlement mentality that says, I am owed something because, and then you fill in the blank. And that mentality controls us more than this biblical directive. You say, Pastor, where are you getting that from? And here's what the world would say. Are you just some white guy talking out of white privilege? No. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, we gave you this rule or commandment, anyone who refuses to work. And this is the problem. We live in a culture that has purged us from the Bible is truth. And who knows where truth comes from today. But the Bible teaches that you and I have a responsibility, if we're able-bodied, to take care of ourselves. Now listen, if, if, if I'm disabled, I am grateful beyond words that I live in a nation that provides a social network to help me. If that hurricane smacks our East Coast, I am grateful beyond words that we live in a country that our government will help people find housing, find food, put their lives back together. That is a good thing. But even that, individual responsibility is there. And let me say something else the Bible teaches. It teaches that people in need should ask family first before seeking outside help. What do you mean by that, Pastor? That's new to me. I'm glad you asked. 1 Timothy 5, 8, Paul was speaking about the widow. But he says, whoever does not care for his own relatives, especially his own family members, has turned against the faith and is worse than someone who doesn't believe God. 
This complicates it a little bit because sometimes we want to just do something for people and the easiest way to do something is just give them a couple bucks. That may solve it immediately, but that's not dealing with a root problem in their heart. Uh, Let me underscore again, in a crisis, Christians help each other. On the day of Pentecost, you remember, Pentecost was a celebration just like the Jews, Jews, like the Muslims today. They go to Mecca and they celebrate. It's a pilgrimage. They go there periodically in their lifetime. Well, Jews would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. One feast was Pentecost. They came from all over the Jewish empire. They didn't plan to stay for weeks, months, and years. They didn't bring enough money to take care of themselves. But the Holy Spirit came, the church was born, and they're saved. Christians lose their jobs, and here's what happened. Acts 4, it says there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them. That's amazing. And they brought the money to the apostles to give to those in need. It was not the apostles' law. It, didn't, it was not the government forcing it, but it was Christians seeing other Christians in need and taking of their material goods and sharing with them. Listen, there's no easy answer to this whole subject, but I want to paint some pictures around it. We have a benevolence policy in our church, and I I don't know that I've ever even said this publicly, but I want to say it. If you have a need in your life, hopefully, first of all, I hope you're able-bodied, you're able to work. But if you have a need uh, in your life, I want to ask you not to ask other people in the church to help you. And I'll tell you why in a minute. I'm going to encourage you, if you have a need in your life, if you lose your job, if you're about to lose your house or whatever the case is, or you don't have money for your electric bill or food, I want to encourage you to ask a pastor or call our church office. That's what we do. Uh, and if you're here, and if somebody asks you for money, and this happens frequently, I want to encourage you to say, listen, I care about you, but our church meets its benevolence needs. I want you to talk to a pastor, or I'll talk to a pastor for you, or I'll call the office for you. Now, having said that, We have lots of people that help the poor. I give something to the poor every week in my life. I give to poor poor kids in Haiti every every Sunday morning. But uh, if you want to donate to help the poor, we have a benevolence fund. You mark that on your envelope anytime, and, 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 and there are lots of needs out in the world today. We'll also have many people that will recognize a need and say, I want to help someone, but I don't want them to know that I was doing it. We don't abuse this. They have to entrust that to the church. But many people will give and will help a specific person that may be in need. You say, Pastor, why are you doing all that stuff? I'll tell you why. Because sometimes people take advantage of people. And when we come to church, we try to be loving, we try to be caring, and there's unfortunately people in the world that will take advantage of that. Several years ago, I don't know what you think about the people that stand on the side of the road up here and have a signs, we'll work for food. But several years ago, we noticed that there was a former church member there, and he had his wife. And we watched him a little while. He stayed a couple hours. He went to the bushes. He got his stuff. And then he went to the pawn shop and bought a television. His sign said, I'll work for food. But he was just hustling the system. And I don't know if I've created more problems in talking about this or answers. But let me say this. God wants us as Christians to be concerned and care about people. And who cares if you get burnt sometimes? I figure the people we help, probably two out of five burn us. But I don't ever want myself to become so cynical that I close my eyes to the cry of the needy. Otherwise, I might be like Steve and Rebecca's over here hungry, and I don't even care enough about her to help her. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. I'm about done. Let me close with this statement. As a Christian, I must reject prejudice, discrimination, and racism. As a Christian, when I approach the cross of Christ and I read through that, 
the second great commandment that tells me to love my neighbor as myself. But it is particularly to be applied in the context of the church. James chapter 2 verse 1 says this, How can you claim to have faith in Jesus if you favor some people over others? For example, someone comes, and this is just an example. It could be a racial example or other things as well. But if uh, someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, somebody else comes in who's poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you stand over there or sit on the floor, well, doesn't that discrimination show your judgments are guided by evil motives? And that's the kind of thing we want to avoid. Somehow, when I come through particularly the door of God's house, I want my eyes to become colorblind. I want my eyes to not look at the car or the shoes or the house. What I want my eyes to see is there's a person created in the image of God that has value simply because they're a human being. And they are in some way connected to me because of Adam and Eve and likely could be my brother, sister in Christ. And I'm going to love them the way that God loves me. My friends, our great motivation is what Jesus said this. When Jesus told us to, let me read it to you and I'll close. John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you, you love one another. And he said this, by all this will people know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for one another, our crossing barriers that divide, are not only good and helpful to those in this room today, but they're, they're the light shining brightly to a world that has no clue how to help people get along. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. He's worthy of praise. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet today? Praise the Lord. God is good, huh? He is good, isn't he? I don't know about you, but I've been in situations throughout the course of my life where people hadn't loved me, where people hadn't treated me right, where it just hadn't gone my way. And I know the feelings that come with that. And could we just pray right now that God would bless those that have cursed us in some way? I want you to just close your eyes a minute. And I want you to just, if there's someone that has treated you with hostility because of your race, if they have demeaned you or withheld opportunity because of your gender, if they have in some way taken advantage of you because of your lack of education. Let me just go down the list. Maybe there's an ugly word that some people would call you and you couldn't do anything about it. And it still lives inside your soul. Could you just say, Lord, I want to forgive them today? I just forgive them and I go a step farther, I bless them today in the name of the Lord. Could you just say their, that, that, that name under your breath or while that picture of them is in your mind, just say, I bless you in the name of the Lord. I bless you. And Lord, we want to ask you to forgive us if in any way, either deliberately or just kind of the fabric of the way we were raised, that we've done hurtful things to people created in the image of God. We want to ask you to forgive us. <laughs> ask you to cleanse our hearts, Lord. We don't want to treat people in an evil way, but we want to act in a loving, Christ-honoring way. We want to love all people, but especially Christians. 
we love them with the love that Christ has for us. Help us with this very thing, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. If you'll give me just a moment, we want to close this way. We're going to have a closing song, and if you can hang around to that song's over, we'd appreciate it. But I want to make an opportunity for prayer. Uh, if you're here today and you need prayer for anything, we'd be honored to pray for you. Maybe my message today has brought up some anger. Maybe you wanted to throw something at the preacher. Okay. I'd rather you send me an email. Send it to uh, Travis.Jackson at churchontherock.org, and I'd be happy to answer that email for you. It'd be much better than you throwing something at me. But, but, but seriously. Maybe, maybe I stirred something and you want to give that to God. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe someone has said or done things to you that in some way damaged your life. Maybe you need to forgive them. You want to come to the altar and as, as a symbolic place to turn them over to God. We'll pray about anything, though. We'll pray about anything in our prayer. But the biggest prayer I want to pray today for you, if you're here today and say, Pastor, what I need is, is a real relationship with God. When you talk about God talk about Jesus. You talk about walking with Him. You talk about knowing Him. You talk about knowing God in a way that I don't. And can I tell you, friend, I understand. Because I was raised in church, grateful for it, always believed in God, always held the Bible in high esteem. But I knew about God. I never knew God. And how in the world can you know someone that you don't see? How can you know someone that you can't touch? It's spiritual. I don't know what to tell you. But the God who created you wants relationship with you. You say, how do I get it? Number one, you have to deal with the thing that separates you. It's your sin. And you cannot be good enough to get over your sin. The only thing to do with sin is to come to Jesus Christ and ask Him to forgive you. It is a belief that the death of Christ on the cross was a sacrificial death that paid the penalty for our sins. That Jesus paid the price but I've got to personally receive it in my life. You come and you do this through prayer, asking for His forgiveness, but this next part is a big deal. Committing yourself to follow Jesus. Jesus is not just looking for people that say, I believe. He's looking for people that believe and follow. And maybe you're here today and you've lived all your life for yourself and you're ready to start living for Christ. I'm going to encourage you in just a moment, whether this is a first-time commitment or you've walked with God before and got away, but today you want to recommit your life to Christ, I'm going to encourage you when we start singing that you just slip out of your chair and come to the cross and let us pray for you. And let me tell you this, we won't embarrass you, I promise you, but there's something powerful about that 30, 40-foot walk because the symbolism in your heart is if you've got the guts to walk away, when people would clap if they saw you, I can guarantee you that. They'd be happy about it. But it takes guts to walk away from my past and begin to follow Jesus this is not joining the church you could do that one day if you want to but this is you getting right with God and I hope you do it today Pastor Zach go ahead and just begin our last song our prayer team is coming to the front right now they're here if you need prayer for anything but most importantly if in your heart there's that little pitter patter and you want to reconnect with God you want to commit your life to Christ we'll see you at the cross I love you and thank you for coming be safe on Labor Day